And if they're at all happy where they are and what they've become, from selling out to doubling down, let's talk punk rock business and what happens when the two get all mixed up. Here is your host, Bill Florio. Yo, this is Bill Florio. Yo, this is Charlie Boswell. Yo, this is Dave Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> Today we got Lulu from the Fastbacks, who's a cinematographer. Yeah, I, I really had no idea. This is, this reminded me of the Kira episode where I had no idea what exactly that entailed. In prep for this episode, I watched a lot of the work that Lulu's done. I thought it was really, really interesting. And it's funny, when I first reached out to Lulu, she was one of those people that said, you know, why don't you talk to anyone else in the band, Kim or Kurt? And they all have interesting jobs too or have had interesting jobs in, in the past. So that's a really, they might be the first band I try and check off as, as the band we do every, every member of. But uh, had never heard an interview with Lulu before, so I really wanted to speak with her. We like to seek out those background band members that don't grab the mic all the time. Exactly. You know, the ones that, the ones For that, the record, I want to do every member of Youth of Today first. We're I, almost I think there's there. a lot more money in that. We're almost there. I mean, do we have to include side members? Because that's like a lot. I mean, like guys who've done one show If we them? get the downloads, they could all come in. <laughs> also, also uh, a cinematographer is also known as a, a DP, but I used to DP was Diet Pepsi, uh, abbreviated for me, except Dave Willens worked at a video store. He said, oh, that's not what it stands for. I used to work with a girl <laughs> and they, a woman and they called her DB, but that stood for Dress Barn. <laughs> Decibels. <laughs> My sister got fired from Annie Says. Does that place still exist? Is that because was like, she like, Annie Says, you're fired. <laughs> Annie said, you're fired. <laughs> All right, this is Yo, I, I got a question though. I, I, I meant that I didn't ask her what a 4K restoration is. Oh yeah, that's an interesting. Maybe we can uh, maybe we can get some bonus footage in there. Yeah, that. maybe she can call in and tell us because I forgot to ask that. Okay. Well, luckily I knew a little bit about video, and uh, I pulled some uh, questions out of my ass, which is which great. is why if you look for our videos on YouTube, they're really grainy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Let's roll the tape. So. We usually start this out where you introduce yourself and let everyone know what you do for a living. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm Lulu Gargiulo, and I work as a filmmaker and director of photography. So I feel like we should start chronologically, especially wait, hold, because- hold on a second. Hold on a second. No, wait. wait what is a director of photography <laughs> before we get there? Well, it's kind of just like it sounds, and it's also, the other name for it is a cinematographer. It's somebody who it directs the, what, the lighting and the camera work that you see on movies and commercials and all kinds of other things. Are you responsible for that shaky camera stuff in the movies? Well, I don't do that myself, but that's what the I but that's that. what the director of photography does. If well, if, if the lights are shaking, though, you could. Yeah, well, well I, I can't stand that. <laughs> well, just so you know... Just, I, th I think they just do that because they're lazy. So instead of doing something good, they just shake the camera around and make everybody sick. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a little secret that actually became popular sometime in the late 80s or early 90s. It was called Folgering because it was first seen on a Folgers commercial. <laughs> Is that like the, supposed to be like the caffeine's effect on you? <laughs> and, and then if you get Folgers, you don't feel that way? <laughs> I, don't know. I, I think at the time it was just somebody trying to be arty and creative. <laughs> well, isn't it supposed to make you feel like you're there more? Is it supposed to be like more of an immersive style? Is that kind of the thinking behind it? Immersive? I think it's like, it's the opposite of immersive. Cause oh, it's, like, it's like you're in a submarine immersive. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'd call it other than just like you said, it's bad operating. 
<laughs> yeah. You never, Hal Roach never shook the camera like that, I'll tell you that. But So you, you did touch on a director of photography and is also called a cinematographer. I, I always thought that like cinematographers were for film and director of photography was for TV and that like people spit on TV people. But is that like going away or am I completely out of the park there? Uh, I always thought of cinematographers being uh, documentary people and everybody else sort of fell into the other realm. There's also videographer, which I don't really like because it's, since I did come from the film days, it's sort of that, that was considered sort of little looked down upon a little bit. Video well, I was, was, I was a wedding videographer. Cool. We were scumbags. So <laughs> 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 I don't think you'd want to be associated with that. so going back to the yes going back to the beginning you're looking at your bio it's it talks about you starting off by taking photos at rock and roll shows so how did that start for you and was that your beginning of your love of cameras yeah i would say so kurt and i were both in our in the same photography class in high school i think i started in maybe the 10th grade and our teacher was named Mr. Hoy. And I was kind of, I wouldn't say unruly, but I just would do kind of my own thing. And, but that's how Kurt and I met was in that photography class. And it was because I had pictures, I can't remember, probably of the Ramones or something. And I was developing in them and he was really into photography as well. And so we kind of started a business together where we would go to concerts at the Paramount and actually, and, and the Coliseum. And we would bring our cameras in, we would sneak them in and we would take pictures and then we would print them at school. And then at the next concert, we would bring these eight by 10 photos and sell them in line at the concert. So we were sort of had a a little entrepreneurship going there. Was that a lucrative business? Were you making good money off of that? Well, I think that we sold them for a dollar a piece, but you know, in 1976 or 77, that was... you maybe make 10 or 20 bucks. And that was a lot of money for us, for sure. And were you already playing music at this point? Or was this pre playing guitar? Pre playing guitar for me, Kurt was playing in a band called the Cheaters. And but yeah, we were just really into music. And we would go see everybody that came to town. And at that point, they had this thing called the Rising Stars concert. They were like 99 cents, I think if my memory is right. And it was Patti Smith and The Clash and Tom Petty and Lou Reed and Iggy Pop. And I think all Lou these Reed bands is a creep. Can- and every, so everyone you want to see anyway, <laughs> not the Journeys and the Bostons of the world. No, well, but we'd go we, would, we would go to those as well. In fact, I, we snuck, I snuck in to see Elvis Presley in about 1976. Wow. Something like that. But we would sneak, that was kind of part of it. Is did you sneak into his bathroom? <laughs> no, we did not. <laughs> did you get, did you, did you I thought that's where he died in 1970? Did you get good photos of him? No, I did not take pictures at that show. We sometimes we would just sneak into shows just to see if we could get into them. Like we didn't necessarily want to go see them. I remember going to see the Bay City Rollers once and um, sneaking into that and. It was just more part of the fun was like, can we get into this show a lot of times? Were the Debasey and Rollers Rock? They were amazing. The thing that really blew my mind is they had these this line of these bouncers that would be right inside of the barrier. And they would just pull these girls out and just pass them out and pass them hand in hand right out the door, out the side door of the Paramount because they just pass out. <laughs> There's some funny I, with, outside of Saturday Night. They were kind of like a power pop band. I mean, Rock and Roll Love Letters is a great power pop what, song. What, yeah. Well, what's wrong with Saturday I mean, Night? That's a great song too. But I mean, it's, it's, if it, that's song too. <laughs> if that's all you know them by, though, I mean, oh, I feel like okay. there's actually yeah. I feel like oh, there's, there's did some you deep wear cuts roller on there. skates in the audience, or is it just the mm. band? I don't remember that much. I mean, that's what's ironic. Is were they wearing plaid? The, oh, yeah. gar- the girls oh, yeah. wearing plaid? They got to wear plaid, yeah, yeah, at least in my memory. Okay. I always felt that, mm-hmm. I always felt that they counts. dropped the roller skates at some point, and I missed that memo. You're thinking of zoo animals <laughs> on wheels, Bill. I don't know. I almost <laughs> got... Anyway, 
Uh, were you in the photography club in high school too? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I kind of made my own. Kurt and I both did, but you had your own as club. I, yeah, and as I got older, the teacher just really didn't like me in the class because I would just, I was always late to class. And instead of sitting down and hearing the lesson, I would just start walking to the dark room and Mr. Hoy would go, Lily, you have to sit down. And I'd be like, <laughs> basically just blow him off. And I'd just go in the dark room and I'd get the best and larger and take over the whole dark room. So at the same time, at the same time, you grew up with horses. I think your sister Maria told me that you had a horse that you would bring home sometimes. Yes, I did. <laughs> so I really wanted a horse. And so when I was 10, I, my parents let me and my cousin buy this horse. It was $75. And, I had, and we both had to get paper routes. And within six months, she didn't want to have a horse anymore. So I took over her paper route and I had the horse. But that includes and feeding I, the horse? Like, didn't you have to keep the horse... Yeah, I kept of? it. At, yeah, well, I had it up, and we didn't. I mean, we're talking this horse was not. I mean, my dad used to call it a glue mare, and <laughs> we would board her like not very far from our house. It was just outside the city limits, and the pasture's not there anymore. But, and that's all it was just this pasture with barbed wire fence around it, or actually, it had electric fence. But it was, and I had a little stingray bike, and I would ride up there. And so she lived there for maybe a year, and then the following year, she moved up maybe about 10 miles from our house. And my dad would go up and feed her every day, throw her a couple flakes of hay. And that was it. But I just spent like every weekend, like on Friday night, I would go to the roller rink and I would meet my horse friend there. And we would roller skate. And then we would go to her house afterwards and I'd spend the weekend there and we'd just ride horses all weekend. And then I go home on Sunday night. In here anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, yes. I was so under roller skating. <laughs> so did you really think you were going to, did you really want to look at, into being a jockey? Was that really something that, that you seriously considered? Did they considered? play the, the Ramones when you went roller skating? No, they did not. It was pre, it was, it was kind of pre that. It was more like disco music. And did, yeah. you know, dance. Music. I went roller skating once, and they played "I Want to Be Sedated," and that was. I feel great. like it'd be. You like mean the, back then? Yeah. In like 1981. That's pretty okay. good. Well, that's that's pretty good. That's close. Still I feel like it's like Ario Speedwagon slow skate song kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's not "I, I Want to Be Sedated." No, 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 not so much. I feel like that's well, a hard song to the, skate um, to, though. I mean, like no, it's, it's like, like the it's, slow skate. You hold hands. You just go in a circle. Yeah, I want to no, be no, sedated. I mean, what for? What I no, want to be sedated? It wasn't. We were going wagon, nuts. You know, like, keep on loving you oh. or something. Or. Well, my my daughter used to go skating with the Girl Scouts like every year, and every year they asked the DJ there to play uh, "Tainted Love," and he would never do it. And then the last year, I went to him. I said, "Man, can't you play soft cell? They've been waiting since the last year." And he did that it. Seems like a good right skate happy. song. That's a good skate song for sure. Well, it was anyway, we, we cut Dave off on his question. <laughs> <laughs> I like Sex Dwarf better myself. Charlie so just butt in with some sto- stories about high school. <laughs> it's important. It's the foundation of everything you are sometimes. <laughs> That's true. Can be. So to answer your question, Dave, is. yes, I did want to be a jockey. So I quit. I didn't go to college. I graduated high school. And then the following, in that summer, I kind of snuck on the backside of the racetrack because of my photography. Because I'd take pictures of the horses as well. And so I met these two girls who were grooms. And that's how I got on the backside the first time. And they kind of showed me the ropes and said, you can get a job. And so I, and it was towards the end of the summer. So that summer, I only worked for maybe three weeks cleaning stalls and brushing horses and all that kind of stuff. And then that next winter or fall, everybody leaves and they go down to either Portland or California. And so I went to Portland Meadows that winter and lived in a bar, was kind of working my way into being a a person who gallops horses. And then that next spring, when I came back to Long Acres in Seattle, within the first week, I got kicked by a horse and I broke my collarbone, which was a good thing because it sort of fate has its way and and if it wasn't for that i probably would never have played in the fastbacks 
And you would have had a really rough life. I mean, I've known some jockeys. I mean, that's not an easy life at all. They're either very, they're mostly alcoholics or they're born again. <laughs> no, it's a really not a, it's basically, it's basically that you're in the circus, but a certain kind of circus because it's 24 seven and you don't really have a home because you're traveling between two to three racetracks all the time. So it's not a very uh, glamorous life, really. So I was kind of glad. I continued to work there as a photographer. I, I worked there that whole winter or down in Portland. And I came back and I worked part of that summer. And then, but I was also starting this photography business there. Just going, okay, well, I'm going to take pictures of horses now. They're kind of like rock stars. And then I would, you know, process these <laughs> pictures and do the same thing. I would sell them to the people at the racetrack. But by oh, then wow. I was shooting color and I was getting 10 bucks a picture. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, it, you, so, it, so you lived I moved in a up. barn, you lived in a barn, you got your collar, collarbone broken. Did you ever force yourself to read a Dick Francis novel? <laughs> okay. Well, that's <laughs> Just another, trying to see how I deep mean, you got in here. Well, <laughs> the it's thing. funny you should say that because I always told people that I, I was kind of illiterate growing up. I don't know why. Maybe I had a form of dyslexia. I mean, I could read words for sure, but like I couldn't really comprehend reading except for those Dick Francis books. <laughs> they're, the only, they're the only books I could read when I was that age. <laughs> and so I didn't really learn to read until I was about 22 or something. And somebody said, I said, I just can't read books. And they go, well, here. And it was Tad Hutchison from the Young Fresh Fellows. He goes, here. And he hands me this book off a shelf. It was called it was a paperback called Seven Days to Faster Reading. But I only got through about the first chapter and then I quit reading it. But I got what I needed, <laughs> which was basically you just have to keep reading and you'll get better at it. And so that's what I did. So as, long I can't as, imagine as long as reading. it's a murder mystery based around a jockey. You're exactly. <laughs> and they were all exactly the same. Yes, I read two of them to check that. I'll never have to read one again. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Nope. You don't have to read them again. <laughs> So were you a bad student or were you an indifferent student? What was your high school career like? I was, it wasn't that I was indifferent or bad. It's that, like I said, I, I think I might've had some form of dyslexia. And when I was a little kid, I mean, this was kind of telling that in kindergarten, I don't know if you guys ever had this, but they used to have this thing called nap time, which is totally absurd to me when you're that age. I mean, what little kid wants to just stop in the middle of the day, lay down on a towel and be really quiet? And I, so I always in my report card, I got pretty good grades. I usually was a B average kind of student, but at the bottom, it always says often disturbs others. And that, and that, that, that started at that point, but continued on through like my whole, all my schooling. So I wasn't a bad student. I just couldn't read very well, but I was a good listener and I wasn't stupid, so I could usually figure stuff out, and so so that was that. And then, so not a great student. The discovery of music and horses probably didn't win you any popularity awards in terms of like being the star of the school. So was that something that you? It worked for true. you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, as far as what you wanted to do when you got out of school, did you have a plan for that? Or was it kind of just, let's see where this goes from a horse perspective. Let's see where this goes from a photography perspective. Or were you going to find a way to, to be the jockey that also took pictures at rock shows? Well, I, I always kind of wanted to have a plan. And like Kim and Kurt were always kind of making fun of me because I was like one of those kind of like, I got to figure out what my purpose in life is. And they were like, why? Why not just have a lot of fun? And I was into having fun as well. So after, I, I guess when I left high school, I did think I wanted to be a jockey. And then you, you, then it's one year later. And now I'm back living at my parents' house. And it's like, okay, now what I'm going to do I'm not going to be a jockey. And that was right when the fastbacks were starting. So for a long time, I would have that photography business in the summer, which only lasted for, I guess, three months or something at Long Acres. And then the rest of the year, I just had odd jobs, which I was pretty good at. So it was like, I learned how to do stuff like paint houses and drywall and do electrical work. And I, for a while, I was an electronic assembler, like building circuit boards. And so those are the kinds of things that I would do every winter. And 
So cutting to, and then it was maybe when I was about, you'd think I'd know this, um, maybe about 22. So it wasn't that many years. That was when my sister said, or maybe I was 23. She said, hey, do you want to come on a film set and be a PA, a production assistant, which is, it's like, well, what do I have to do? And she was like, well, you have to be like a gopher. You run around and you pick stuff up and you just do stuff that people ask you to do. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And I was sort of reluctant. And Maria might have mentioned this. So I get on the set, I think it might have been the first day or the second day. And it's just like, we're there for maybe not even that long, probably like six or seven hours, which is not very long on a film shoot. And and it's like, I'm getting really bored. It's like, how much longer is this going to be to my sister? And she and I go, because I got band practice. I got, I got to get out of here. And she was like, well, if you leave now, don't come back, which I don't remember if I left or not. But obviously, if it wasn't for my sister, I wouldn't have gotten into the film industry. At a certain point, and it wasn't until much later, once I got into the camera department, because I was a PA and I worked in props and all kinds of other departments. But once I got into the camera department, then it was like, okay, the film business took priority over the fastbacks. And we broke up many times and there was a period and I might not get all the years right. I'm trying to remember, but after having been broken up for a couple of years, we got back together again. And then I was pretty like super into working in the business, but the fastbacks were really going gung ho too. So I kind of juggled them for a long time. I mean, and there was, not a lot of times, but maybe a couple major times where I didn't play with the fastbacks and they either played as a three-piece or, uh, yeah, that was mainly it. I don't think they, did they ever, no, they didn't ever, pretty remember Rusty Willoughby, he played, he might have, yeah, he played so there, a guitar there's a, one there's time. There's a Jan Brady in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so he might, yeah, you're right. So I don't remember, but I don't know if I answered your question or not. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I think, did, you know, you it's interesting to think, I mean, it's interesting to, to hear that was the most productive period of the band and really when your career was taking off, because I mean, you look at, that's like kind of the golden years of you guys putting out LPs and all that. I mean, you must've had to juggle a lot to tour and support the albums you were putting out while you were doing this work in film. I mean, that was that, was that a difficult thing to do or was it always just like, we're going to have to work around Lulu's schedule because she's the one with the professional career and the rest of us are kind (laughs) of just waiting to go on tour when she's available. It was kind of a little of both. Like sometimes I would just, I would just miss out. And I mean, I'll tell you one time that it's probably the most painful moment of my fastbacks career. And I don't remember what year it was, but, we got asked to open for the Buzzcocks, who's like, I mean, that's like, I'd never seen them. And I was working out of town and wouldn't get back into town. And that was the other problem is that my career took me more on the road than it did in, than working in Seattle at that time. Now it's the opposite. But at that time, I was working out of the state a lot. And Kurt just said, um, no, you can't. Because I said I'd practice on my own. I was getting back like the night before. So there was no time to really rehearse as a four piece. And he just said, no, you can't do it. And I was just like, yeah, I mean, it still like hurts, hurts my heart to think about that time because I just love that band. And I couldn't even go see the show because it was just like, oh man, I can't go to this show. That would just break my heart. But so that was probably one time that was painful. I'm sure there were others, but that one sticks out the most. But I did get to do a lot. I toured, and this was much later, I think it was in 96 or something, and we toured with Pearl Jam all over Europe and the United States, and we also toured with the presidents of the United States. So, I mean, I, I, I did plenty. When, you're, when you got into film and you're, you're doing camera work, you haven't really, you haven't gotten to, to be a DP yet. Are you kind of just taking whatever comes around or... Are you, how did you, how does that work and how do you get jobs in that sense? So you kind of work your way up and I I was kind of going down one path, which is grip and lighting. And then I met uh, a DP who was actually a a camera assistant at the time. And he just said, Hey, you'd make a really good camera assistant. And so I just sort of, 
my career just was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And I got hooked up with, I mean, if you get hooked up with one or two really good people, and at the time, these were people that were traveling around the country and the world. It's not like, these were LA production companies. And so once you're in, you're kind of in. And at that time, there was a lot of money. And so even as a second AC, they flew seconds in and first ACs in. So that's kind of how I got my start. And so as far as like getting work, once you're in, it's not like you, it's not like you're on staff or anything, but it's just that once they know that you know what this director or director DP or camera person wants, and then they're going to bring you along. And I mean, and they were really big budget shoots with multi-cameras. And I mean, you just have a giant five-ton truck just for your camera equipment. So they were big shoots and, um, and it was fun. I mean, I got to see like the whole world. I mean, either between the fastbacks, because I got to see the world that way too. But I saw a lot of the world because of the film work. And is, a lot of it, sunrises and sunsets. <laughs> is, better is hotels. It, where, where, like, where, who, who, got you, who got you better lodging, the fastbacks or the, <laughs> the camera work? <laughs> oh, that's a good one, because we always used to joke that um, we started out at, now I can't remember. Oh, we started out at Super 8, and then we knew we were really moving up when we got to stay at Motel 6, because it was just a little better. <laughs> 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 when you talked about just now, like getting in with the right group, is that led by the directors or the producers, or is it just like, like as far as getting selected to be on certain films? Because I just well, like I know, like for example, like Ernest Dickerson was good friends with Spike Lee and worked up with him and did a lot of his early movies. Like it didn't seem like there was even a chance for another director of photography. <laughs> there. Well, in in this case, it's usually, it, and the people I, were, I was working for were director cameramen. So they were both the DP and the director. Okay. And so they had, and then they usually had to have a really strong camera department because they're everything, right? I mean, they're mm-hmm. doing both jobs. Yeah. Hold so, this for me while I do this, right? It's that kind of Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Well, you had to do, yeah, you had to, and, and, it was from this certain era. I mean, it was a very macho world where you had to, I mean, they still do it, but I mean, you had to work these insane hours. So you had to be obviously up way before dawn. And when the sun was coming up and, and the equipment weighed a lot more than it does now, you had to be running the whole time because they wanted to shoot as much as they could during magic hour. And, and it was commercials. So that, that's a whole, and that was a whole style back in that er- time. Mm-hmm. So there, there was a certain thing that was going on then. And so you're doing everything, helicopters and boats. And I mean, that was before they had drones. So you had to get mm. in a helicopter to do it. <laughs> 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 so it was that. But anyway, so I, let's see, what was the question again? No, no, I was just, I was just I, trying to get a gist of how like you, how you get the in, but it sounds like you answered it as far as. Yeah. And then sometimes once you meet somebody, then your name might get passed on to somebody else. Right. Okay. That's because because we when we spoke to we spoke to Kira from Black Flag and she was talking about on the sound editing side how she did that and she said it was really difficult because you have to play the social game and you have to you have to network in a way that that she didn't feel comfortable with was that something that you that kind of comes naturally to you did you feel like you had to network to get gigs or was it one of those things where people were just like oh let's get Lulu she's great okay so. We're talking about probably two very different eras. I don't know how old she is, but if we're talking about the past era, I mean, there was no like social media. So mm-hmm. you, so what I would do sometimes if I didn't have work is I would just go down to the camera rental house or the Crippen lighting house. And it was inevitable. If I went there, you'd talk to somebody, Oh, I'm doing this shoot and I need this person. It's like, oh, okay, I can do that. And And a lot of times that's how you would start a whole new, a client relationship. I hate that term. <laughs> but now, but then I was out of the business for a, a period of time. And then when the digital world came up, and that was kind of, I don't even remember when Facebook started, but probably around the same time. And, and so, and to get, and I really thought, how in the hell am I ever going to get back into this thing? I mean, I was, at that point, I was, I have to do some math here. It would have been like in my mid 40s or something. And it's like, I haven't done this in a while. How am I going to, how am I going to really get back into it? And it was through um, networking. Mm -hmm. And 
it really works. I say that networking, if I were to tell somebody that was like just starting out, it's like network, like get on any, like as many different, like, you don't have to do it forever because you'll make some connections, but like I joined Women in Film and the CIF, which is the International Film Festival. And then we have another thing called the Northwest Film Forum here. And I just became members of those organizations. And then they would send out mailers every month and you would find out about things going on. They would have those like, we're having happy hour this month, the first Thursday of every month. And you'd go and, or you, and the other thing too is I'm kind of a, a nerd when it comes to camera equipment. I, and it's something that you, you have to be up on. And so those are other things, other ways that you can stay kind of, I told you this was going to be boring, right? No, this I, is I great. <laughs> Are you kidding? This is great. I, you have no idea. I, I, I was not kidding. Anyway, so I, that's how... I have how, a long um, list of technical camera questions now, so we'll, <laughs> okay. we'll make sure of that. <laughs> but, so, but so those are the other things. So you just, you go to these events, they might have this lens summit and you go to that and they have this thing called the Seattle Film Summit. I go to that every year. So I still do it, which I would not, just so you know, I wouldn't have done that in my previous film life because that would have been below me. It's no, I'm already established and I have these connections. It almost seemed like if I did that, it would make people think I didn't know what I was doing. Well, now that's not the case. Everybody goes. It's a way to kind of do like to go out and have beers with people or go see stuff. I, I do enjoy that. So I do that too. So, so the red camera <laughs> yes. Red digital cameras. Uh, what do you think of those? <laughs> well, the I find raw, it raw interesting footage. that. Raw yeah, I, I, I find it interesting that you brought that one up because red was really what killed film, right? Yeah, that's, that's a, how I it, understand it. So I, I want yeah. to see, like, because basically it was like the first time you can get a professional level camera and you can put it on your credit card. And it was a digital format. Right. <laughs> so when that camera came out, that was the dark days for Lulu. It was so over there that I couldn't even touch it. There was no, and that was when I started shooting mini DV, which is like, it's horrible. Yes. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you, and those two things came out around the same time. I think mini DV came out first and then the red came out. But what got me, Back into the business, in all honesty, was when the DSLR came out. The, the ca- <laughs> so that's what got me back in, if you want to know, as far as digitally. So, so the red... Well, I, you might want to explain that, because the red is basically a traditional film camera that shoots like better than anything in digital. But the DSLR right. is more like a, a regular professional still camera that could shoot really great video. Is that right? That is absolutely, you just nailed it right all on right, the head. And, right. and, and, I've been and, out of and, it for like 15 years. I can still speak the language. The DSLRs are even the, better now. Oh my God, yeah. Oh, not only that, but the mirrorless cameras. See, I told you I'll just go off. I mean, the, the, so, and just to give you just, so Red, I never hopped on that bandwagon. It produces absolutely stunning pictures. Yeah, and it does shoot raw, so it basically means you can do anything with it. The files are ginormous. And so when I got back into it at the beginning, I was doing more like corporate and documentary work. And, and that camera really doesn't have, for me anyways, doesn't have a place. So I went more towards the traditional Sony and Canon. And I, first of all, like I said, I went with the Canon. Um, the first one was, the, the 5D did it at the beginning, but then they came out with the 7D, which was, geared mainly towards video shooters. So, so, and for a while that was everything that everybody was shooting and everybody was all excited because, and including myself, because it was the first digital imagery that I saw that was the closest to film. I mean, Mm -hmm. outside of the red, but I couldn't get a red. I couldn't afford a red because the other thing about the red. But the red still needed a full crew. These new things. I mean, I think think what I'm getting at is that, the business is shrinking in a way where if you haven't established yourself, does, is it harder to establish yourself because, or is there so much going on that there's enough work and it's. I think there even. is so much going on that there's enough work. And I always go back to the same thing that I tell everybody. And I think it's why 
I was able to do it is I think it just is a matter of having the attitude, the right attitude. I mean, being positive and, but also like learning the craft. I mean, I, I get very frustrated and I might get some hate mail because of this. But fr- I, I get really frustrated with other, with women, or I call them young girls. First of all, mo- and people are always like, oh, how come there aren't more women in tech and, and women in, in what I do? And I, I think it's a couple things. I mean, obviously the door has to be open, but it's also that you got to put the work in to learn the craft. To me, that's like the most important thing. Learn the tools. Also learn the craft. Like, what do I need to do to be good at this? So that's all I'm saying is I don't care who it is, male or female. And mm-hmm. now or back then is like, you got to want to do it. I'm going to sound like an old man here, but that's kind of like a generational. Thing. I mean, I work in PR and marketing and when I hire younger people, I mean, there is that element and I know it's a generalization, but a lot of younger people don't want to, they come thinking that they are already experts at everything they do and they don't realize that they have to put the time in to actually learn something. They just assume they're going to be naturally good at it. I don't know who's going to pay for this, but $5 a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests, plus tons of extra stuff if you become a Patreon supporter. That's right. We cut like 20 minutes out of every episode that you're missing. So we also have a table in the back with t-shirts and stuff for sale. We should charge people to get the cut version. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's for sale at killbydesk.com. And please try not to fuck up the bathroom or they're not going to let us have shows here anymore. That's psychotic yeah. in this conversation. Funny how I assume they're just morons. <laughs> that's, just, that's just being old. <laughs> that's a given. That's always existed. But the but it seems psychotic to me because with the film industry, it moves so slowly as far as the technology in comparison that the you think the older people would be like, I'm I know what I'm doing. I got the basics down. I don't need to keep to professionally develop myself and keep up on this stuff. But it sounds like it's the opposite. Like, and that sounds so the, good. The young people are like acting that way for, because they went to film school and they learned this one camera. But it's, it sounds psychotic to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I, I do think it depends on the individual because I do think there are older people that when the technology switched over, they didn't embrace it. And unless you embrace the technology and keep up with it, I don't... I. I don't know. I, I don't know how you can continue to do it. You know what, what the technology that ruined film? What was that? Sound. What is it, Charlie? The technology the te- that ruined film. Technology that Sound. ruined film. Sound. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and then there's that other thing, and, and it took me like probably 20 years to learn this because when I was learning to be a DP, it's just like, oh, I came from all these directors who it's like the movies are the most important part of it or the camera is the most part about it, but Really, the sound is more important. So, Lulu, when you look at your work now, I know you've done some work as a filmmaker as well in terms of determining what the stories behind uh, the work that you're doing. Is that something that you enjoy doing? Was that a natural progression? What's your thinking as far as what you want to work on creatively as a filmmaker? And I don't remember how long ago. This was a little while ago, maybe like six years ago or something. I wasn't getting enough camera work. And so I was thinking, well, maybe I should expand and, and do a little producing and maybe a little directing, even though those are not really in my wheelhouse at all. I just thought, okay, if anything, it it will just maybe help get me more work. And plus if other people's jobs, I think it makes you better at what you do. So I did a little bit of that. And actually, there's a short film I'm working on right now that I'm kind of co-producing, but, but I'm mainly the DP on that. So I did that for a while, but I don't really enjoy that at all. I, I mean, probably, but probably the thing that I loved the most was I got asked to do this thing called a fly film for the Seattle International Film Festival. They used to do it. They don't do it anymore. But they would ask people who don't normally write and direct, like editors and DPs and art directors. And it's not a contest, it's a, but where they basically say, okay, they give you this parameter and you have to write it, write a script or have somebody write it. And then you have three days to make this movie. And so I did that and it was, 
And I loved doing that and I did enjoy it, but I still don't think that I'm that good at it. And so, and, and then since the pandemic started, I mean, work has just gone crazy. So I haven't really pursued quote unquote filmmaking as much as I, I was. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. I like no, that. absolutely. I like the idea that there's like a, a film version of a hat band, like where they throw everyone's name in a hat and you have to like play a show. <laughs> <laughs> but you, well, speaking you, you of you guys that, sat through one, of, your, like one of your wheel? groups, like one of the associations you're in that came from. I'm trying to find a theme here where it's like, well, I got this opportunity because I was involved in this group. I got that, op- you mean to do the, the fly film? Well, that was what was amazing. I got this opportunity. There, there's a local, he's kind of a, a he's a celebrity. He, his name is Warren Etheridge and he does like, he has his own show. And I met him kind of on a whim and had talked to him and told him about what I was doing. And I, frankly, I just think I got really lucky that they asked me to do it because you have to be selected to do it. And so I felt really fortunate. So, Sounds like it was so that's how I got to do that. <laughs> One way or the other. Yeah, it probably was, actually, because I went to some event, there he was, and I don't remember if we just, hi, my name's Lulu, and he said, hi, I'm Warren. Uh, I don't remember the exact circumstances, but he's just, a, he was very helpful. I thought, wow, that's very cool. So speaking of hats, I wanted to ask about Howdy Partner and and what making that was a, was like and, and being a part of, of doing that and traveling around the country. And for those, for the listeners that, that aren't familiar, so you made a, a documentary on on people in their cowboy hats, correct? That is correct. And that was during sort of in that same dark era. So I was still shooting. I, the DSLR had not come out yet. But my husband, who's a commercial director, he and I were both like, well, what can we do to kind of, I don't know if give back is the right word, but let's try and take something on that's interesting and would be fun. And so we, and he came up with the idea that he wanted to do this documentary in cowboy hats. And it was one of those things where it's like, okay, let's go to Texas for a week and we'll shoot and we'll come back and we'll have this little short film. And so we did that and it was great. It was really interesting, but it was just kind of like one thing led to the other. And so we, we find out that cowboy hats are everywhere. And so whenever we got the chance, we would shoot some more things like in Japan and in Germany but just so you know, FYI, the film is not done. And unfortunately, somebody else came out with a cowboy hat documentary. I think it's called the Cowboy Hat Movie. Um, and there are some similarities, but it was actually really great. I mean, I love the cowboy hat. I mean, it's it really is the symbol that that you can't really, there's not a lot of other things that are quite like it. And I also wanted to ask you about The Most Dangerous Year and your work on that, because I know that was changing tones from something a little more lighthearted to something a lot more serious. Was that something that you, how did you get involved with that? And was that something that you felt really strongly about at first? Or was it something that you learned more about as you participated in the making of it? A little of both. Lada Knowlton is the director, and she has a daughter who's transgender. And at the time, she was like maybe five or six, I believe. And I'd known Vlada for a bunch of years. We'd done some music videos together. And she just said that basically, uh, and I, I knew that her daughter was gen- transgender, but she said that, she, and she was involved in all these advocacy groups and said that, that it had come out that all these bathroom bills were coming out about against the transgender community. And she had been involved with all these kids who, and kids' parents who were transgender. So she asked me if I would do it. I said, sure, yeah. And then as I worked on it, I mean, there there was so much I had to learn and that I did. It took me a long time. And and I'm and I am very proud of doing it. it it's won a lot of awards. It, it it's traveled all over the world. It's still very relevant and um, and yeah, so it was basically her and I that did the whole thing. I mean, in terms of filming it, she did a lot of the filming herself because her daughter is in it. But but yeah, and and now I'm working with her on a narrative piece. She's the one who I'm working with in in about ten days. So oh wow, so that that's the that's the your life's about to get crazy thing <laughs> that's gonna about to happen. Yeah, 
Exactly. <laughs> well, I have two short films that I'm doing sort of back to back in December and they're narrative. And, and that's not really the world that I have worked in as much. I mean, I did some feature work a long time ago and then didn't. And like I said, then I fell sort of in that corporate world, which is not exciting, but pays the bills. There's, there's, there's still less, there's less actual physical running though than. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I just I, Absolutely. I worry about tripping and <laughs> I, I dislocated my <laughs> shoulder a couple of years ago. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't run anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but although at least the cameras got lighter. If it hadn't been for <laughs> digital, I couldn't do it anymore. There's no way. <laughs> You'd be worried about it falling on you, never mind. <laughs> Yeah. It up. <laughs> Do you buy the statement by Apple that you can actually shoot something usable on an iPhone these days? Well, going back to like the filmmaker versus the DP, I do believe that you can make something impactful on an iPhone because what's actually more important is the audio going back to that thing. Because <laughs> if you have really good audio, you and I think key is writing and having a story to tell then I think the iPhone can certainly illustrate that story. It's just that as the DP in me, better, bigger is better. Rulu would notice. You would notice the difference. (laughs) Someone else might not as much. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So so does your DP, do those tendencies run counterintuitive to like the punk rock recording method kind of thing? Where like, I mean, it's like, are you willing to forgive more in your guitar tone than you are in something that you shoot from a visual perspective? Let me think about that. I guess how much of a stickler are you in the studio when you're recording, when you're recording music or is that all Kurt stuff? That's, I would say that's Kurt's world, but I'm definitely particular about my sound. Like it's like, I mean, and I probably developed it like, I don't know how many years ago, but it's got to have this certain crunchy sound and, I, I probably don't like as much uh, distortion as Kurt or a lot of other people. And I got to play a Gibson, Les Paul Jr. And it's got to, I don't care about the amp so much, but, and I, and, and I'm from the old school where I never got into pedals or anything like that. So I guess that's pretty punk rock, but I feel like my approach to filmmaking in some ways is punk rock. I mean, the way that I got into it and the way that, it's, we're going to figure out how to do this. I mean, it's not like, do you know what I mean? Like a lot of people might be intimidated to make a movie or like, how do we make this movie and want to write everything down and make sure it's a certain way. Whereas it's like some of how I do everything in life is just like, let's figure this out. I don't read about it because I didn't know how to read them read about it more now, as I told you. But yeah, I mean, thank you, I Dick think, Francis. Yeah. Thank you, Dick Francis. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, just the getting into the business and everything, I think, I think the business has, you have to be a little bit like that. I, I just like to be prepared more than I did. And I think that is age related. I think you're right. But in terms of the connection to the music and and sort of the punk rock sensibilities. I do think that I'm not sure which came first. I feel like that was a little bit of my personality anyways, but, and so I don't know if it was that I found punk rock and was like, this is my place to be because this is how I like things. Or if it sort of helped me be that way. Well, no, nobody taught you to sell the photos in line, right? No. Well, if you, (laughs) if you ask, when I spoke to to your sister, Maria said that almost all the women in your family are, have what could be considered being bossy. And you also have that mixed with the charisma from your father. Oh, that's awful sweet. (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And she said that served you very well in, in both your music and in your professional career. Oh, Okay. I like that. I'll go with that. (laughs) (laughs) She also said that she also did say that having a kid completely softened you and made you more compassionate and nurturing. Yeah, probably. I mean, I mean, I used to be, I mean, I don't know if she told you this, but I mean, I I used, people used to think I was me. 
I mean, I was known as being mean. I mean, there's all these like fastback stories like, oh, remember the time that Lulu, (laughs) yeah, no, or like, remember the time that Lulu did the punched out Julianne, who was our, she was our manager. And it's like, and of course, I don't remember any of this stuff, not because I was wasted, but I just don't have a good memory. And, but my sister's always reminding me of this stuff. I mean, we were just talking the other day and she was like, I was trying to explain to her, why don't you like plastic off everything and spray paint? your cabinets in your kitchen and she goes you mean like the time that you painted the fastbacks man it's like i painted the fastbacks man she goes yeah remember you had a tent over it and you were spraying it and i said no i don't remember that she said yeah you said you said that that it it took so many cans of spray paint that i hurt my finger painting the fan i don't i don't remember any of this stuff but other people remember stories about me all the time at least you didn't use a roller (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. There was some but, preparation uh, there. <laughs> yeah, there was some preparation. But no, but that's another example of like, if I want to try and do something, I'll just kind of do it. It's like, like one time I woke up in the morning, it was like, okay, I'm going to remodel the kitchen today. And I started destroying the whole kitchen. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I used to do all the time. <laughs> I, I don't do that anymore, but that's the kind of stuff I used to do a lot of. And um, So it's destructive in, this, in the sense that you don't really think about how much you've bitten off before you start doing it. Exactly. It's like, I'm going to figure this out. Let's just go. I don't, I'm not like that anymore, but I used to be all the time. Like, I want to figure out how to do this. Let's just start doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. No question about it. But the mean thing, yeah, you, you'll have to talk to other people because I don't know how to talk about it. Because I didn't think I was mean, but I guess I was kind of mean. (laughs) (laughs) I have to, yeah, I I don't, I I mean, first of all, that would, I I would assume that would totally shatter someone. I would, because as a fan of the Fastbacks, if I met you and you were mean, because I wouldn't expect that. I would accept, you all seem like you're so... Like just like little and fun and nice. Like I feel no, that would no, be no. Like, no, the, the mean. The mean is part of the myth. The mean is important. So but let's not get anyone thinking that you're not. You don't still hold on to some of it. I don't know. Like, that's like a Johnny Ramone moment. If you meet Johnny Ramone and he's a dick to you, and you're like, oh, oh these yeah, guys- that guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know if why. If he does it to I you mean, in front of me, it's entertaining, though. <laughs> that's true. Definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> So are you are you planning anything now? I mean, I know you said you were practicing recently, so I've got to assume that there's shows coming up at some point. Well, I wouldn't call it shows. That said, we got we just put out that the Zucker LP and Easy Street Records is doing an event for the release. They wanted us to come and spin records and sign records. And and I said, well, what if we just because we just done well, just done it like whatever, six or eight months ago or whenever that was. We just did the acoustic as everything. And so I said, why don't we just do a few songs acoustically? When's that and happening? It's going to be this Friday. Nice. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm super excited. I wish I was closer. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you were too. I mean, I would play anytime. At any time, and and I would play anything. Like I, I'm like whatever anybody wants to. Do, okay, great. I sometimes <laughs> ask questions just because I want to hear it personally, not because it should be on the show too. And that's always what we cut out, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that was really cool that we did during the pandemic is I was pulling out a lot of old uh, videos that were shot, like I mean, really terrible looking, like they were shot on either like Betacam or even VHS, and so even pre like mini DV, this was in the eighties. And one was that re-release when we made the, or we played the mural amphitheater and Kurt put that out on vinyl. That show was unbelievable. And so, and I, and we put it together. Basically he had the audio tracks and I don't remember if it was on a four track or what it was on, but, and I had these old videos and we put them together and we put them out as like I put them out in groupings on Facebook just to get fun. I've never done that, but it's like, oh, I'm going to put out a song every day or every other day or something. And then I posted the whole concert on YouTube. It's so amazing. There are such good songs on it. You you should go right now and listen to it. I'm not kidding. Oh, or watch it. It's so good. <laughs> it was the Mural Amphitheater. And I can't remember. I think it was 86 or 84 or something. It's with Richard Stuverud on drums. 
he's unbelievable <laughs> on it. I am not kidding you. And Kim's hair is the best. You have to, you have to go <laughs> and look right now because Kim's hair is the best and Kurt's legs. He's wearing these short shorts and he's got like these toothpick legs. It's hilarious. And he was really into the, he, he's got this sort of like pseudo Eddie Van Halen guitar with like the tape across it. And he's got the whammy bar, so he's it's really good. Go watch it right oh, now. Wow. I'm not kidding. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, Kim's it's, got full on like full, that's did a, you that's find like it? Bu- that's like a bouffant. I don't even know what that is. That's, well, yeah, that's yes, something. Yeah. I found it. I found it. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's great. So you got yeah. Watch the whole concert. It's so good. I mean, there's in particular. Well, there's a lot of them, but I need some help. Is really good. Set me free is really good on there. Oh, um, this is a great. This is a great set list. Yeah, this I is know. awesome. It's old and it's really good. Well, the one thing I didn't ask you about was actually related to music in terms of like some of the music videos that you've worked on for bands. Like, was that a result of you being, was it with someone like, oh, Lulu from the Fastbacks also does, does film stuff. Maybe she can shoot our music video. How did, is that kind of how that came about? Was there a long interview Um, process? (laughs) No, of course not. For the money money. video. There's no money in music videos, but. I've only done, I haven't done a ton. I did a few for the Fastbacks. I shot one of, um, God, who else did I do? I, I think I did a, a Mud Honey one where I was the operator. Or, I mean, I was the DP, but I wasn't the director. I did one for Gas Huffer here. I did one for Chick Stigget. So they were all these like, you know, super low level. I knew that I knew sub pop kind of thing. Let's, and I was always trying to do more at that point, trying to get more work. But now the music video one, I'm, there's nothing in the music video world that I think I did very well. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is really a good video I shot. But, but I've done lots of, I think I'm a pretty good concert videographer when I've been asked. I shot some of Hype and I shot some of like the Soundgarden concert and I think the early Pearl Jam one and a lot of those, but, and those are exciting for different reasons, obviously, because seeing live music is so much better than, than that. So, but no, I don't have any good music video stories. I'm sorry. Anything else? <laughs> next, next, next we topic. Can't end on, we can't end on that, Lulu. One of the things that, that Maria brought up was you working on the year of my Japanese cousin, uh, which for listeners was her film. And she said that there was I asked her what it was like to work with you being sisters and, and whether she gave you any creative control over anything that you were shooting. And she did say that there was an overhead shot that she was adamantly against that you insisted get, get used in the film. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I, yeah, I came up with that idea and I thought it was a good one. <laughs> no, so you just like, did you break into sister mode and you were like, listen, you're going to, you're going to do this. <laughs> like it's going to happen. And we're, no, there's no more talk about it. No, Maria was always the, well, I don't know. I mean, we're so different in personality, but Maria was older than me and, you know, she's got like a master's in film. So she went to Stanford film school. She went to AFI. So she's much more ahead of me in terms of a storyteller and a filmmaker. But so that, but that, yeah, that was probably the only influence. I, I had a hard time. I and mean, that was when I was much younger and I was kind of a butthead and <laughs> I, I was definitely a butthead. Because I was young and I didn't know a lot of stuff, but a lot of times Maria would come up with these shot ideas, and I would just think nobody would ever do that. But I didn't understand the dynamics of of some of that that Maria did. But the other thing, I don't know if you knew this, but there were a lot of bands in that movie. Like we, for one thing, I don't know the the main song in it was a song that Kurt wrote, and Kurt is in it as the recording engineer and there were all these other people. It was really funny. So you should watch it sometime. Yeah, I saw that. I saw it's online. So I'm definitely going to check it out. I didn't know it was available. Yeah, you'll see. I mean, Kim wasn't in it, but there were, there were other people that were in it. It was kind of, it's a funny and a funny kind of movie. And it was made a very long time ago, but I thought Maria did a good job. That's nice. But yes, I, I did come up with that overhead shot. (laughs) No helicopter though, right? (laughs) <laughs> no helicopter on that one. But I do think we did, though, like a car to trailer shot of where we were. It was like a music video within the movie where the band is at as a music video. And I think we had 
a trailer to trailer, like we had the car mounted on a trailer back in the old day. And, and car mounts, and that was when we had car mounts, and it was shot in film. So that was cool, yeah. I do love uh, this. This will this will air after this happens. But I'm looking at the Easy Street Records Facebook page, and it just says to show up on Friday. You get your copy signed of, of Zucker, but then it also says it just says just that the three of you will be sticking around. <laughs> I like the I like the uh, I like the tease of that. So, so hopefully it will go. And thank you very much. That's it, kids. The gig is up. The cops are here, and your mom is calling jails, hospitals, and all your friends' houses, wondering where you've been. Tune in next week for another fascinating, mesmerizing, and absolutely unmissable episode. And be sure to get on the list and follow the boys on social media at Killed by Desk. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon. And if you enjoyed this conversation, there's tons more where this came from. For only $5 a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month. Want to help us out with some gas money and to get us to the next show? We have merch and more at KilledByDesk.com.